long time ago, years ago, I was serving a little parish in uh, the Boston area. And I got a call rather late one night from a friend of mine who was training for the ministry. My friend had this really deep and profound sense of being called to serve. She was a, a woman of some privilege who chose to live and worship in a poor neighborhood in Boston. Her job was as a counselor for substance abusers. And as exhausting as that work was, it wasn't enough for her. She ran the Sunday school for the church that she was attending. And she organized food drives and Christmas gift drives for the poor kids in the neighborhood. And she started up a ministry to the halfway house across the street from the church. And she kept going and going and going like that bunny rabbit in those old TV commercials, tirelessly banging her drum, never looking back, and always expecting everyone to follow her inspiring example. But when she called me, she was in tears because she was trying so hard to serve God and it didn't seem like she was getting anywhere and the people she was trying to serve didn't appreciate her help and the folks at the church weren't helping out with the projects and the Christmas gift drive had been a complete disaster and she was getting physically sick from the stress and why was it all so damn hard, she said. So believe me when I tell you, I don't always, probably I don't even usually find the right thing to say in situations like this, but on that evening, I'll never forget this tiny moment of grace that appeared before us as I blurted out the first thing that popped into my mind, which was, you know, in all of this serving that you've been doing, how is God serving you? How are you allowing God to serve you? And she said it had never occurred to her to ask that question. It just so happened that I'd been reading this passage on the day that she called, uh, and I reminded her of Jesus' words to Peter, unless I wash you, you have no share with me. This was almost impossible for her to accept. Just like Peter, she resisted. She needed to believe in herself as the invulnerable servant who needs no one. When it came time for her to take off her shoes, so to speak, and expose her bare feet, when it came time for her to accept the notion that Jesus came into this world so that he could wash her feet, she balked, just like Peter. Sometimes I imagine that someday archaeologists are going to find this clay jar and inside it there will be a little piece of parchment and it will turn out to be an epitaph that somebody wrote for Jesus. And it will read as follows. We enjoyed his love as long as he never asked us to love our enemies. We appreciated his healing as long as he didn't heal the hardness of our hearts. We loved his piety as long as he didn't criticize our religion. We liked his vision for a just society as long as he didn't expect us to work for it. We respected his teaching as long as we could reduce it to comforting platitudes. 
In fact, we liked just about everything about him until he asked us to change. The other day I was listening to Fresh Air with Terry Gross and she had on that very interesting comedian and actor Ray Romano. Terry Gross asked him what it was like when he rather suddenly became quite famous. And he said, well, before, I used to think that the cab driver hated me. Now I think the limo driver hates me. (laughs) Doesn't that say it all, just about? For some of us, everything about our life can change in an instant. We can go from an underemployed waiter to a millionaire movie star overnight, but we're still trapped inside the same brain. The real work remains the same. For many of us, that work might just be the acceptance of this impossible reality, this scandalous truth, which is that we are loved exactly as we are. On the very night in which we will betray our Lord, we will renounce ever knowing him, we will run away from all danger to save our own skin, we will watch him be seized and taken away to be tortured and killed. On that very night, we are being asked to submit to his gentle touch. This is the kind of love that shatters self-image. It's the kind of love that erases all common notions of self-esteem. It's the kind of love that reorders the very purpose of our lives. It's the kind of love that will absolutely change us if we will only let him. I mean, I know of all the parts of our bodies, our feet are perhaps the most imperfect, shall we say, the most scarred, the least glamorous, the most sullied. They are the workhorses of our physical being. They bear our weight. They meet the earth. They bear our weight, but also they bear our shame, our swollen ankles, our broken toenails, our bent toes and falling arches, Not to mention there's sometimes rather strong aroma. This is exactly what Jesus rejoices in. These well-used instruments of his creation. Jesus tenderly caresses them in their soreness, their tiredness, their humility. In this we submit to the precise form of love that Jesus intended for us a love that is completely undeserved and freely given and non-negotiable because it's not about your worthiness. It's about a simple fact of reality that no matter what you do, no matter who you are, you are loved completely, fully I knew a university professor who, um, he got so tired of his students with their concern and anxiety about getting A's. He, he, he saw that his students had completely 
lost the capacity to find joy in the learning experience. So anxious were they about getting that A. So at the beginning of every semester, he would make this announcement, congratulations, everyone gets an A. Now let's start learning. Everyone gets an A, I love that. But when he told me that, I also had to ask, but are you saying that nothing's expected of them? And he said, no, to the contrary, everything is expected of them. He saw the confused look on my face, so he clarified, clarified it for me. He said, you know, no one succeeds in life because they got an A in some class in college. They succeed when they've discovered the joy of learning. He said, what I'm trying to say to them is, stop treating your education as a mean to your own ends. Stop treating intellectual discovery as if it were a tool to serve you. If you want to be truly successful, discover the joy of learning, not the satisfaction of getting an A. Connect to your curiosity. Discover your passion. Put aside your ego. Find yourself at play in this field of discovery. Dance with these mysteries. Feast on this God of learning. He was a, a beautiful professor and well-loved, not just because he gave out easy A's, but because he connected his students to the joy of learning. Everyone gets an A, but that's not to say nothing is expected of us. It's just that what's expected of us is not that we check every box and perform every ritual and succeed at every task. That's completely backwards because our journey into the heart of what we're supposed to do with ourselves on this planet begins and ends with this submission to love. That's what we reenact here in this cathedral tonight, our submission to the reality of God's love. Jesus looked at Peter with love in his eyes. He saw Peter's desperate effort to maintain the proper order of things, including his own pride and his ideas about what made him worthy of love. And Jesus said, Peter, my dear friend, before this night is over, you're going to betray me three times. I know this about you. It's who you are. And it does not lessen my love for you one single bit. Congratulations, you get an A. Now what? So powerful is this ritual of foot washing that some have even speculated that if it had been up to the author of John's Gospel, this would have been our central sacrament every Sunday rather than the Eucharist. Uh, a man, Robert Herhold, who wrote for the Christian Century magazine, he wrote about this idea. He said, you know, it's just as well that foot washing never became a sacrament. Church property committees would not take kindly to pans of dirty water on the new carpet in the chancel. If theologians had gone to work on the question, we would still be embroiled in endless debate as to whether the feet should be immersed or sprinkled. <laughs> Liturgists would argue whether the right foot or the left foot should be immersed first. Others would speculate on the symbolism of baptizing heads 
or feet. It's always easier to follow Jesus in our heads than it is to follow him with our feet on the Via Dolorosa. I could not agree with him more. But whether we are washing our feet or drinking the wine, the message is the same. Do this in remembrance of me. Do this, submit to this boundless, penetrating, life-altering love. And then follow that love where it will lead. Engage it, celebrate it, share it, consume it, make it, give yourself over to it. The rest will take care of itself. 